So, thank you, John, <laughs> for bringing my. Um, so, I'm going to read you guys something this morning. I usually don't do this, but I think it's important because it's. It was just shared not too recently on a very popular podcast, and it was done in 1965 on April 3rd. Some of you might have heard this before, but I think it's important to read it, the totality of it, so that we can kind of just hear it. And if you haven't heard it, it might blow your socks off. So, so I'm going to just read it to you. All right, ready? Okay, we're going to do it anyways. Here we go. If I were the devil... If I were the devil, or if I were the prince of darkness, I would want to engulf the whole world in darkness, and I'd have third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree, and that is D. So I'd set about however necessary to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And, that, and the old, I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which are in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid, or lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle necrotics um, to, wh- to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves, until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mem- mem- mesmerizing media fanning the flames if I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young, to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions. Just let those run wild, until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing. I'd have judges promoting, promoting pornography. Soon I, could convict, I w- soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in, in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and def- deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbols of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who want until I had killed the incentive of the, ambi- of the ambitious. And what, do you, and what do you bet I could get whole states to promote gambling as a way to get rich? I would caution against extremes and hard work and patriotism. Immoral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be, and thus I could undress you publicly and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep on doing what he's doing. 1965. Anyone know who said that? Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey. And that's the rest of the story. And this is the thing, you know, you could hear that and you could say, oh man, that's today, right? And yet, when Paul Harvey's writing this, you have the Kennedy assassination, you have the war in Vietnam, you have the civil rights movie, movement, you have the Cold War, um, you have 
birth control is just coming onto the scene, which leads to the sexual revolution. Um, you have the hippie movement on the horizon. And so all this is going on when he says this, and yet we can see that and go, that's just today. I mean, every single thing that is said there, isn't that what our world is? It's even worse, right? And though it's interesting about this is you get to this point where for us as believers, we go, well, we see it, right? Especially a lot of you that have lived through this kind of stuff. You go, I've seen the degradation of our society, right? I've seen it go down the hill. And yet, if you were sitting there hearing this, you go, that's where our society is. And we can see now, what, 40 years? No, we're at 60 years. 60 years after, and we go, wow, look at this world. What's interesting is the reason why I bring this up is just because not too long ago on the Joe Rogan experience, and if you don't know what that is, it's one of the most popular uh, podcasts, especially among young men in the world. And uh, one of his uh, guests comes on and shares this with him. They watch the video because they have it on audio. You can find it on YouTube. You can listen to the audio and you can... Listen, and so Joe Rogan, who is an atheist, who's actually been kind of adversarial towards Christianity, he listens to that, and he, this is what he says. And this is the way he says it. Wow. 1965. Harvey knew it. In that moment... It rushed on to Joe Rogan, again, who is an atheist, who has rejected Christianity. He sees the world around us and he goes, he saw it before it happened. No, because he saw it as it was happening. He saw it in his own day. What we're seeing today is the flourishing of the flower that Harvey talked about. And that flower has its roots to the very beginning in Genesis 3.15 when the first man and woman sinned. We're seeing that flourishing, unstoppable it seems at times, in our today's society. And so we've been talking about how to be prepared, right? Whatever is in the future, how do we be prepared for that? And so today we're going to be talking about being prepared spiritually. Because our Lord said this in Matthew 24. So in Matthew 24, 12, this is a very important to, verse to understand and to incorporate into your memory four times as we move forward. Jesus said this. He said, and because lawlessness will, in, will be increased, okay, the love of many will grow cold. We see this very apparent in our society. As lawlessness increases, as we what this means is as rebellion against God increases, the love of many will grow cold. We can see that, right? I remember just when I first moved down to Quartzsite, we'd drive around and you could wave at someone and they would wave back. You know how many times I get waves nowadays? Very few. It's, it's just, it's changing. We're becoming more detached from each other. And so lawlessness is increasing and love is growing cold. And this is what's happening. And people who don't even know Christ, have even adversarial toward Christ, are starting to wake up to it. 
And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to go through the whole chapter of 19 verses. And we're going to look at it because God is calling us to be prepared both physically and spiritually. And so today we're going to talk about the spiritually. But last week we talked about the physical. And so we talked about being physically prepared with everything that we have so it may be utilized for the kingdom. And we talked about how no one can tell you where, how to utilize that except God Himself. Right? I hope you got the, the message last week that I wasn't talking about, hey, give here. We want to, whatever God does, to utilize it for His kingdom. That might be that, we said this, that might be that the RV that you're living in, maybe when you pass on, that RV goes to a ministry or goes to a family that's in need or something. But it's always asking the question, God, I have this. How can this, whatever that is, be utilized for the kingdom? Whether now or in the future, how is it going to be utilized for the kingdom? That's what we talked about last week. That's what it means to be physically prepared for whatever comes. And so, but all the preparedness in the world means nothing if you're not spiritually prepared. So it's nice to know that, but until we're spiritually prepared, it's not going to help us. And so that's what we're talking about today. So 1 Peter chapter 4, verse, starting verse 1. And what we're going to do is we're just going to walk through this verse. Um, and we'll just go to it, huh? There you go. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 says, or it reads, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So let's stop right there, verse 1. First thing out of Peter's mouth right here is, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. Everything that comes after this has to be understood with the mindset of, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. Everything that Peter's going to talk on the rest of this chapter is all within that mindset of Christ suffered. And so from starting off here, that's where we're going, because he says, arm yourselves. And what's interesting about this word arm is it was coined basically by Homer, the guy that wrote the Odyssey and the Iliad. So he coined this phrase, uh, this word arm, which means to take up military arms. And so we have to understand who God uses to write this part. It's Peter. Anyone remember Peter's story? He armed himself with the sword. And what did he do with that sword? Anyone remember? He cut off the guard's ear. Peter understands what it means to arm yourself. But what is he saying to arm yourself with here? Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking as what? As Christ suffered in the flesh. That's what we are to arm ourselves with. So you know what that tells us? This is a spiritual readiness. So Peter's saying you've got to be spiritually ready here. You've got to put into your mind, it's got to be right there, crystal clear for you, that it's about suffering. It's about following Christ in suffering. You've got to get that dialed in, that that is a part of the Christian walk, right? In fact, Jesus in John 15, in John 15, verse 20, we can put that up there. In John 15, verse 20, listen to what Jesus says. He says, maybe, Remember the word that I said to you, 
a master or a servant is not greater than his master. Hold up right there. Who's the master? Jesus. Who's the servant? We are. So we are not greater than our master, right? Okay. If they, right, here we go. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Let's stop there. So if they persecute Jesus, if Jesus has to suffer, we get out of it. No, he says they will persecute you. You will suffer. We have to have that in our minds and understand because if not, when suffering comes, we go, I, I give up. Because you're not ready. You don't have the arms to be able to do it. And so Peter's putting that into perspective. When the suffering comes, what do you need to be? You need to be ready. So he goes on to say about if if they listen to if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But he's putting it into the perspective of suffering. So Peter understands that. What's interesting, the reason why we're in Peter is because last week when we were talking about being physically prepared, who was the person that questioned Jesus? It was Peter. Is this for me, Lord? And this helps us understand how deep this sunk into Peter. How long it went. That, yes, Peter got it. Peter got, I need to be prepared. So, let's go on to verse 2. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God, for the time that is past suffices for doing what Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. It says, with respect, are we, yeah, with respect to this, they, all, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and then malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. So let's back up into that. It starts off with this whole thing about not living in the flesh. And when you read through that, that's us. That's society today, right? I mean, look at that. Gentiles want to, what they want to do. Living in sensuality and passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. That's, that's the U.S. That's Western society. Do what feels good. I don't know if you guys remember that campaign that was kind of going around that said, um, live your own truth. Be you. These ideas are just just do it, right? This is our society. And so Peter's saying, look, that's how the Gentiles, he's contrasting that with the people of God. Gentiles live this way, but the people of God live something different. And he goes on with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them. This is a huge thing. This is our first thing. So our first thing is the mindset of suffering, understanding that. The second thing is the avoidance of the things that would cause us to sin. And this is something that it, now we're into this, this personal relationship type of stuff. Because how do I do that? Right? How do I, am, I separate myself when in the whole world around me, this is everything, right? You can't get away from this stuff. I mean, pick a place in our society that is just secular, that says, no, 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 
I'm not going to have this. You're going to have a small list. You're going to have places you could probably say, oh, well, we could go to, um, I always want to call it home goods, but it's not. Um, no, not home. I would know that. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's Hobby Lobby. Thank you very much. My wife goes, I know what he's talking about. He doesn't know that. Hobby Lobby. You go to Hobby Lobby, you're going you're gonna to walk in and there's going to be worship music playing um, because it's purposefully done. That's few and far between. I mean, one of the things, you could just go on, and this is one of the reasons why I stopped watching um, news programs, is because they purposely put very pretty women, intelligent women, but pretty, who show cleavage so that it will entice men to watch. Like, that's the purpose of it. The news is secondary. That's what gets you in the door, and then you get your news. And so it's everywhere. And so how do I do that? And that becomes, Lord, how do I do that? So if I say up here, okay, well, you can't watch these certain shows. You can't do these certain things. You know what that becomes? Legalism. The law. Because now you're going, well, Jeremiah says this. I have to do this. No, no, no. God has to lead you into these things. So I'm going to share with you something that I do. When I'm by myself and I go to the grocery store, which I try to avoid, um, and I go to an aisle and there's a woman down that aisle. Doesn't matter who they are, doesn't matter if I know them, doesn't matter how old they are. You know what I do? I go to a different aisle and I wait till they exit. Not because of anything that that person has done, but because I want to be as faithful to my wife. And I don't even give a moment for Satan to get into my brain. And so I will avoid that. The reason why I don't like going to the grocery store is because I have to do that. And then it takes me twice as long to get the groceries. And so, but that's, some, that's between me and God. I'm not telling you to do that. That's between me and God because God says, you want to be faithful. Here are some things that we can do. And I say, okay, Lord, I want to do the things that will keep me faithful. And so it, it's something that we can only do between us and God. And so, but the big thing here is you're avoiding it, right? You're not doing those. With respect to this, they are surprised when you don't join them. And we see this now. As lawlessness, as rebellion increases, you know what's going to end up happening? The people of God are going to get further and further away from the world just by not doing, participating in things. What happened in the... Um, Late 3rd century, early 4th century, uh, so the 200s, the 300s in Rome, um, the Christians were becoming a problem just because they were being Christians. About 5% of the world at that time, or the Roman world, um, were Christians. But they were causing enough of a problem for the Roman government that the government said, we need to put a stop to this. And what they did was, they said, okay, for now on, everyone has to go and do the sacrifice for the city. Everyone has to participate in this. And what you would do is you would get a piece of paper saying, yes, you were a part of it. Guess who wasn't getting the papers? The Christians. Now you know, here are the ones that follow and here are the ones that aren't. So we go and we persecute the ones that are not. So as, the, as Christians follow Christ, the gulf between the world is going to get bigger. And guess what that leads to? 
suffering. It's going to lead to suffering. That's why we have to have the mindset of Christ. Suffering is going to happen. Because if we don't have that mindset, it's okay to watch that show. It's okay to go down that aisle. Because I, don't, I, don't, I want to avoid the pain. So if I don't have the pain already, okay, that's going to happen. This becomes a lot easier to fall into. And so he says, but they malign you. But, verse 5, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge. Every single person in this world will come to a point where they have to, they're going to stand before the Lord in judgment. And this is a call to gospel work. Because every one of us is going to stand before the Lord. For those that trust in Jesus as Savior, you're golden. Because your sins have been forgiven. They were dealt with on the cross. All that stands before you now is eternity. Like, that's it. I mean, not it. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, the, standing before the Lord in judgment has no fear for the believer. But for the non-believer, it's going to be a fearful day. And so, we're being told God is going to judge. What's our role in that? We're gospel proclaimers. That's a part of the reason why avoidance is necessary because that's a testimony to the holiness of God. When His people are brought away from the sin of the world, that's holiness working. And His people are made holy. It reflects the holy God and tells the world there is holiness and there is unholiness. Where do you choose? So now we have the mind of Christ in suffering. We have, I need to avoid, right? And be led by the Spirit so that I might be transformed. We go to verse 7 now. The end of all things is at hand. So what is Peter telling us? Get ready for the end, right? And this should be the believer's mindset too. At any moment. This is why it's called the imminent return of Christ. Not the immediate return of Christ. Imminent means at any moment. When is that going to happen? Well, there's certain prophetic things that need to happen. Okay. But I don't live my life for those, those checkoff lists. I live it for the return of Christ. So however that works out, I'm ready. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He starts off with it, be sober-minded. I want to read to you in the transliteration of the Greek. I'm not reading in Greek, because that would be bad. <laughs> but this, listen to how it's straight, word for word, straight from Greek. Of all now the end has drawn near. Be clear-minded, therefore, and sober for the purpose of prayers. So the third thing we're talking about is to be sober-minded for the purpose of praying. Peter is using alcoholic language here. 
Be sober-minded. So that means to have clear mind, right? Because when you engage in alcohol, you have a tendency to not think clearly, right? And the more you go, the less clear-headed you are. So Peter's saying, come back sober-minded for the purpose of prayer. And so, I want to be clear-headed when I'm praying. I want to be specific with my prayers as much as possible. So, an example of this is Romans 1. Romans 13, 1-4. And this is just an example. So, Romans 13, 1-4. And I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to read the first verse to kind of give you an understanding. Um, It says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Okay, so right there. That's, we're going to stop right there. The rest of the verse goes on, or the rest of the passage goes on to say that the job of the government is to punish wrongdoers. So don't be a wrongdoer. That's what Paul's talking about. So if I'm praying, and I'm praying for my country, how can I be specific and sober-minded with my prayers in this area? Lord, I want those who are in positions of authority and leadership, my police officers, my politicians, my whoever, and I could pray very specifically, right? This is my representative. This is my state, my local, right? I can be very specific. And I could say, I pray that they would be the type of person that brings justice. That when wrongdoers do wrong, that they would be punished justly right so i'm being very specific i'm being very cognitive of what's going on and so that's my prayer for my government for my neighbor lord you say that i should love my neighbor as myself so i love myself and i take care of myself right I make sure I have shoes that work, clothes that are clean. I make sure that I have a home over my head. I make sure that I eat food. How can I love them as much as I show I love myself? Like Very specific prayers. I'm very clear-headed about it. And so this is what God is calling us to, to pray. So we got the mindset of Christ in suffering. We have the avoidance of evil. We have the very specific prayers. And then what's next? Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. This is something, this is for the church, right? We need to love each other. And I'm not saying this is for this congregation. This is for the church, big C. We need to love each other. Next week, we're actually going to talk about more in depth on that. But we need to love each other. We need to allow for each other to sing off key. We need to allow each other that, hey, I'm just glad you're here. You know, one of the reasons why we do the greeting at the beginning, it's not so we can ha- to take up time. It's not. The reason why we do the, the birthdays, it's not to take up time. The reason why we do the anniversary, it's not to take up time. Because if we j- took those things away, literally, if we took those things away, that's about... 10 to 15 minutes, all right, that we would take out, you would actually get out of here earlier. You want to take it out? No, the reason why is because it's for this very reason, to love each other, to give you a moment to love on each other. 
this is why it's so important. So years ago, when we were attending a, an Alliance church up in uh, Roseville, California, we made it a, a job, a, a, a purpose, uh, a goal to move every single week and meet someone new. It was only a congregation of about 30 people, so it didn't take that long. But we learned everyone in that congregation. And it felt like home afterwards. And so we took it upon ourselves to try to love other people. And through that, we got loved on too. We were invited to like an Indian um, uh, potluck. Because one of the families was Indian. It was great. A little spicy, but it was great. <laughs> and, but that's how you build the fellowship. That's how you build love. I would challenge you. This is separate from our main challenge. Every time you come in here, meet someone new. Just, hey, my name is so-and-so. What's yours? And maybe get a prayer request. How could I pray for you this week? That's how you build love. Because guess what? We're going to be walking with each other on streets of gold. And you know what? Let's get to know each other now. So we love on each other. And we, we the, the th- things that bug us, it's time to look past that and say, okay, I need to love on these people. So we got, we got self-controlled there in prayers, uh, but, uh, keeping um, love going. Uh, then it says, show hospitality why, that's without the grumbling. And then, as each has received a gift, every single one of you has a gift from the Holy Spirit. And it needs to be utilized within the church. I don't know how that's going to look. I don't know all your gifts. But what I do know is the Lord has a purpose for you in His church. And if you're not utilizing your gift, guess what? You're hurting yourself and you're hurting us. If I don't utilize my gift, I'm I'm hurting the church. So we need to do that. We need to go before the Lord and say, what's my gift if you don't know it? And how do I utilize that with your people? And that might mean here in this congregation. That might be in another congregation. That might be just with another ministry. I want to point out, I'm not going to say their names, but this year Isaiah 58 needed some help. And so we announced it and some of our um, people that come here said we're going to go over there and minister there. And yet they still come to us. Like they're still a part of this group too. Guess what? That's the church over there. Guess what? This is the church over here. Our brothers and sisters at the Southern Baptist, at the Assemblies, at the First Baptist, at the Community. Those are our brothers and sisters. We can minister alongside them. It's okay. Because we're the church. We're not the Alliance Church. Does that make sense? This is just an expression. Because I'll tell you what, not everyone likes the way I do things. And that's okay. Grace covers a multiple of sins. <laughs> but notice he says, whoever speaks, he gives two examples. Whoever speaks, whoever serves. That's the in front. That's behind the scenes. It doesn't matter where you are. God is going to utilize you. But you've got to be willing. You've got to be, Lord, what do you want me for? So then what do we got? So far, how do we prepare? We have the mindset of Christ and suffering. We have avoidance of evil. We have being self-controlled and sober-minded in our prayers. We have loving each other and utilizing our gifts. There's a lot of things to prepare us, right? Notice that he does this. So he started that, that section out with, Right? The end of all things are at hand. And he ended it with, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. That's after 
right? Ends at hand, and God's going to have dominion. So where do we go next? Verse 12. Beloved, don't be surprised as the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. You ever need another reminder? Here, Paul starts off with Christ's suffering, and guess what? Don't worry about it, you're going to suffer too. It's like a little reminder of him going, hey, I want you to remember something. You'll be suffering. Don't worry about that. Because if you remember last week when we talked about it, that's what Jesus told him. Don't worry. God's got you. Don't worry. And Peter's saying, hey, he told me that. I want you to know the exact same thing. And so don't worry about it because that's where it's going to go. But verse 14 If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved... What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Notice something. He says, let none of you suffer for sinful things. Right? So if we sin and we suffer, guess whose fault that is? It's directly right here. It's no one else's. Like, if I suffer because I murdered someone and then I get caught just the other day um i think it was last night i saw a video of a guy that did a hit and run or not didn't hit and run he just hit some people he got out no remorse but he's going to suffer because of that those people are going to suffer because of his actions but he's saying that if you are the one who does this the thief an evil dealer a meddler you notice that murderer and meddler Someone just in there. If you're suffering because of those issues, that's on you. And it's probably you're going to get a lot of discipline from God, which is a good thing. Because that's going to bring you closer to Him. But if you suffer that way, that's not what He's talking about. He's not talking about that kind of suffering. He's talking about the suffering that as you do the work of Christ, as you live out the the life that Christ has called you to, and you suffer, that glorifies God. But what's interesting here is he says, verse 14, for it's time for the judgment to begin at the household of God. You know, God's doing this right now in the church. He's uncovering years of abuse, things that have just been covered. He's allowing that to be in front of the world. And do you think God is enjoying that? No, but it has to be done. Because as Ephesians says, He's presenting Himself a bride, pure and spotless, that's being washed through the Word. That's why all this is uncovering, and praise God it is. Because it needs to. The sin needs to be uncovered. Healing needs to take place. Those who are in authority that were doing wrong need to be taken out. And we should say to that, Amen. Like, yes, Lord, 
uncover the sin, let it be exposed so that healing can occur. So that discipline may happen. But then notice he says, if those who are believers barely scrape by, what about the unrighteous? You know, that's the second time we're getting a, a call to gospel work in this passage. It's the second time that we're being called, hey, there's an end. There is a judgment that's ahead. So what is our commission? To go, therefore, into all the world. That's what we are called to. Because the righteous barely get by. And it should almost break your heart. What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And if you are a believer and you know what that is, is eternal separation from God into the lake of fire, that should break your heart. Because as I'm preparing for the glory that's coming, some people are not, and they'll be burned up. But then, verse 19, Therefore let those who suffer, this is Peter's encouragement, as he ends here, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. God's got it. As we go through, as the world becomes more lawless, more rebellious, suffering will increase. And it's going to go from, hey, your pocketbook is going to get hurt to, hey, your head's going to be beheaded. We haven't even begun to see the type of suffering that can come. Our brothers and sisters in places like Africa and China, North Korea, those places, they, they know the suffering. And we're sitting here going, man, I wish they wouldn't say those bad things to me. It's like there's a suffering to come. Am I prepared for it? So I said this last week. Physical preparedness. Let's, let's look at end times theology just real quick. Let's say that there's going to be a rapture at the pre-tribulation rapture. Okay, before the seven years, before the millennium. Right? Okay. Calm down over there. <laughs> there's going to be that pre-tribulation rapture. Are you, are, is your possessions here prepared to help believers in that are going to go through that so those tribulation saints those that will be saved during the tribulation is your stuff ready for them that's one way to look right the physically preparedness if the rapture isn't at the pre-tribulation but let's say it's at post are you ready to go through that are you spiritually ready to go through that See, I'm with you. I would love it to be a pre-tribulation. You know why? Because I don't like it when I got this thorn in my finger. And I don't like that. And I, I can't even imagine what's ahead. I have an idea. But to go through it. But at the same time, I need to be prepared. So if God calls me to come with Him before it all happens, thank God. 
If then he says, though, no, I'm going to have you go through it, thank God. Like, that's how our mindset has to be. We have to be prepared for it. Even if, even if your theology says, no, we're not going to go through it, what's stopping you from being prepared? Still be prepared. Because there might be suffering that comes before we even know that happens. Because yes, there is a list of things that have to happen before any of this occurs. But those things are being quickly ticked off right now. And when we come to that point, what if God says, I'm going to have you go through it? We should already be prepared. There's a point in Isaiah when Isaiah stands in front, the, in front of the holiness of God. In Isaiah 6, he stands in front of the holiness of God. And he, the only thing he can say is, I am a person, I have a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips. And so it takes the work of God to come and to cleanse him. And then the Lord says, who will go for us? His reply is telling. Here I am. Send me. That should be our response to the holiness of God. So Lord, I don't want to go through that, but if you call me to, Lord, send me. This is what it means to be spiritually prepared. Your theology, my theology, needs to take a second step for the preparedness of God. Because if I'm prepared, whatever happens, doesn't matter. Because I'm prepared. And so it doesn't matter if tomorrow God takes me, I'm prepared. If, it, if He takes me in 30 years, I'm prepared. It doesn't matter. Because I'm doing what God has called me to do. And that's all that matters. And so what we're seeing now is what Romans 1.24 says. Paul says this about his world and what God is doing then, and he's doing it now. He says, uh, therefore, God gave them up in, their, in the lusts of, um, of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. That's what we're seeing. God is giving us up to this. But that is a good thing. You know why? You know that... Um, that Joe Rogan I said? He heard that thing from Paul Harvey and he said, wow. Just took that moment, wow. Recently, this is what he said. Now I want to give you an understanding of Rogan real quick. He once said this about the New Testament. The New Testament is order horse pucky. Okay? this is So this is the type of view he has for Christians. He believes that um, Christianity was made up by Constantine. That it was made to, to rule over people. That it's all false. That's what he believes. Yet, I've been following him for several years. Him, um, another uh, atheist from Ireland, uh, uh, a New Age comedian from here in the States. And one thing that's happening with these people is that lights are coming on. This is what he recently said. Now understand the difference between what I just read to you and what this is going to say. 
He says, as time rolls on, people are going to understand the need to have some sort of divine structure to things. Now, that might not be a huge like, oh, he came to Christ. But just an understand, just a, there needs to be a divine structure. Just from going, there is no God, to there needs to be a divine structure is a huge movement. That, um, that atheist um, in Ireland, uh, he said, because of the what's going on in the world, I started going to church. That new age comedian said, uh, just a few months ago said, I'm going to give my life to Christ. Like, because God is giving the world over to itself, people are going to come to Christ. And so we as believers, we should say, bring on the suffering. If it means that people will come to Christ, unleash. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But it's going to be glorifying to God. And so that's what we should want. Whatever brings the most glory to God, that should be what we want. And so my challenge for you is this. On your pieces of paper, for those that you got it, because I know we ran out. On, on the bottom there, there is an inventory. A challenge to inventory. Everything we talked about. The spiritual readiness. Um, so the mindset of Christ. The, the specific prayers. The loving each other. Um, it's all there. So my challenge for you on a scale of 1 through 5, go before the Lord and say, where am I? How am I doing? How spiritually prepared in this area am I? And if you get a four or below, that means you got room to grow. Right? Lord, which one do we want to tackle first? And it's between you and God. How that works out, it's between you and God. If you ever get a five, you're Jesus. Okay? And so you might want to reevaluate that one. Alright? But this is where God's calling us. And this should excite us. Because you know what happened with the, the believers during the Diocletian um, persecution in the early 300s? You know that whole, you have to go sacrifice, you get the paper? That whole thing, you know what happened afterwards? God did a movement where He brought a man named Constantine. And that emperor, or at the time, he issued the Edict of Milan. Which meant that Christianity could now be a legal religion and they could worship as they wanted to. But you know what preceded that? One of the worst persecutions ever in the church. So if we want Jesus to come, we should say, bring on the suffering, Lord. Because I know the greatest suffering brings glory to you. And so that's where we should be. And so let's pray. How about that? Heavenly Father, I thank You for today. I thank You for Your goodness. Because even in the midst of everything that's going on in this world, You are still good. Nothing's out of Your control. Nothing is out of Your purview. You know everything that's going on within the world, within our, with us personally. You know everything. So Father, we give this to You. You've called us to be spiritually prepared. you called us to be physically prepared. Prepare us in such a way that anything that comes to us, we would stand on the on the solid rock that is Christ. Our faith would not be pushed and pulled around, but instead we would be anchored to the only thing in this world that is solid, and that's Christ Himself. So Jesus, You move mightily. Build Your church as You see fit. 
Build us into the people that you have called us to be. Wash us in the, the word to make us holy. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here, but every single body believers that calls on you that is holding to that, that core of the gospel that you would radically transform them. And for those that just give you lip service, that your Holy Spirit would move so mightily in those places that there would be no distinction, that they would come to know you and they would come out of darkness. And Father, for people like Rogan and for people that have denied you for so long, I thank you, Lord, that you are moving by your Holy Spirit to bring them to you. Lord, I pray for Rogan specifically that you would illuminate him to the truth of the gospel, that he would hear it from one of his guests that would challenge him to accept you and that he would. And it would be such a a mighty testimony that people's lives would be changed from all over the world. And for people that are going through suffering, our brothers and sisters all over the world, that you would strengthen them by your Holy Spirit, bringing peace and comfort to them. And on those missions fields, wherever we find them, whether it be on our back doorstep or out in the Congo, Lord, that you would be moving by your Holy Spirit to bring people. Lord, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you, that they would be challenged into searching after you. That you would place it on their heart to to realize the sin that has been growing in their own lives. That we all are, all of us have sinned and fallen short of your glory. But because of Jesus, that rebelliousness can be washed away. That a new life can begin. Lord, that you would impress upon them. That you love them and care for them. And you're calling them to a holy life. Father, I pray for us as we're going through this week. That you would guide us. Bring us to the places you would have. Lord, if we encounter suffering, that we'd be prepared. That it wouldn't be an afterthought, but it'd be in the forethought. That all of it would bring You honor and Your glory because Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.